Convincing people that the ocean deserves to be protected is one of the most difficult and long-standing battles in conservation. For many, the marine world is simply out of sight, out of mind. But the fate of the ocean is not something we can just ignore. As perfectly articulated by legendary marine biologist, oceanographer, and explorer Sylvia Earle, we need to respect the oceans and take care of them as if our lives depend on it. Because they do. If people aren't concerned about the state of science, the ocean, and the whole natural world, they won't respect it. So, how do we make them care? For people to care about science, they need to understand what's happening and why it's important. This is Melissa Hobson, a freelance copywriter based out of the UK. I write mainly around the ocean, um, also about sustainability and conservation. What makes Melissa special is that she's just like us. I'm not a scientist. You know, I'm a literature major. I actually started in public relations um, and I worked in, in PR agencies for around a decade, realized as part of those roles that copywriting was one of my strengths and gradually over time got closer and closer to specifically writing and also editorial writing. So the journalism, which is what I do now, um, writing for organizations in terms of copywriting clients and then also publications, magazines, newspapers from an editorial side. And, interestingly enough, Melissa did not start out her career as a marine science, conservation, and sustainability copywriter. In fact, she chose that specific niche almost by accident. It was actually kind of accidental, really. Um, I'm a scuba diver. Uh, I started diving when I was at university, and I just love the ocean. So I think it was inevitable over time, um, as I learned more about the ocean, that that was always something I wanted to write about. Um, and thankfully, more and more people want to read it, read about it as well now. So um, I'm a freelancer. So basically what that means is I work for myself. Um, the Ocean Writer is my own company. And then under that, I work with different clients. So rather than being employed full time by an organization, um, I would, you know, provide copywriting services for them. So whether that's a client kind of being a newspaper magazine and writing articles on that side, or it might be a, a kind of ocean positive organization who needs help with their messaging, their website copy, blogs, press releases, that kind of thing. So um, yeah, essentially I work for myself, um, but I work with lots of other people as well. But even though more people are interested in learning about the ocean, Melissa's career as a freelance writer comes with its own unique set of challenges. One challenge being the peaks and troughs of freelancing. You know, it can be that lots and lots of work comes in at once. And obviously you want to say yes to as much as possible, um, which can push stress levels pretty high. On the other side of things, it can get quite quiet. The moment I know a lot of freelancers are finding it very quiet, kind of in the run up to Christmas. I... I'm a bit of a planner, so I pay myself a set salary. Even if I have a really big month, I will still pay myself the same salary and any extra will go to a little pot so that when I have a quiet month, you know, I still know what money I'm going to be earning month on month. And um, when it does get quiet, trying to make the most of that opportunity, whether that be to spend a bit more time with my friends and family when I haven't got lots of deadlines 
or to get up to speed on admin research. My plan for next month, which I'm expecting to be quite quiet, is to get a load of magazines and, you know, read them, see what people are writing about, what sections are running regularly in different publications. Um, so that I'm maximizing that time instead of, you know, sitting around worrying when my next paycheck is going to come in. Unfortunately, the peaks and valleys of freelancing aren't the only tough parts of the job. Because the world of marine conservation is not a happy-go-lucky field, sometimes the stories themselves that Melissa writes about are challenge enough. One that really uh, affected me, I think, was, was a piece that I wrote a few months ago now for The Guardian online. Um, we'd had a mass stranding, a pod of whales up in Scotland. Um, I think there was around 50 pilot whales were stranded. Um, and the obviously that was all over the news. Um, but I'm also a trained volunteer with the British Divers Marine Life Rescue. And I'd just done my mass stranding training. So with all replica whales, but learning what you would do in that situation. Um, and I realized there was a deeper story there. So I spoke to a couple of the volunteers who had um, been at the stranding and wrote a piece about what actually happened on the day, um, which I think lots of people don't think about when they read those headlines. One of the whales in the stranding had a vaginal prolapse, suggesting that the whole pod had stranded due to one female giving birth. When rescuers first arrived on the scene, many of the stranded whales were already dead. Volunteers and rescuers did their best, but with the tide slipping further and further away, and an adult pilot whale weighing up to three tons alone, they were physically unable to help. Eventually, after hours of unyielding effort, it was decided that the remaining whales should be euthanized on welfare grounds. Only one was successfully rescued. It was a really difficult piece to write, actually. The, the ladies that I spoke to, you know, were so kind in lending me their time, but it was a couple of days after the incident. They hadn't really spoken to anyone else about it at that point, so it was quite uh, raw and emotional piece. I know <laughs> they cried, I cried, I think my editor cried going through the edits, so um, that was one that, that hit quite hard. The Stories of the Blue World podcast seeks to explore both beautiful and tragic stories of the ocean. That one was a tragic one. While working in a career around the ocean can be emotionally taxing, especially given the state of the natural world today, it can also be an incredible blessing. The ocean holds countless wonders that most of humanity never get the chance to experience. Being a scuba diver for more than 15 years, Melissa is full of stories of the beauty of the blue world. Here's one that's particularly memorable. I've been, been diving since I was a student. I've logged somewhere nearly 300 dives now, and there have been some, so many insane experiences as part of that. I think one that, um, that I often talk about as, as one of my favorites was uh, I was diving in Mozambique. I used to be based in a little town called Tofu uh, back in 2018. We did a dive. It was 
fairly standard. It was nice, you know, there was a some nice fish, maybe a shark or two, don't remember the dive itself. Um, but we came up, as you finish your dive, you spend three uh, minutes um, just below the surface, a few meters below the surface um, to let the nitrogen kind of smoosh out of your body. Um, and we were doing our safety stop, uh, that's what it's called. We And usually people are, someone's blowing bubbles, someone's looking at plankton, someone's just getting a bit bored. You've got to, you know, count down those three minutes. We counted down, everyone starts going to the surface. I think a couple of divers had already got to the surface. And we looked down and we saw three sharks circling below us. We were like, oh, cool, there's a shark there. That's nice. And then they turned. Um, and as they turned, we saw that they had uh, the uh, recognizable shape of a hammerhead. Um, and I think that was the first hammerhead I've ever seen. My instructor and I lost our minds, as you might expect. Um, we still had, you know, plenty of air and plenty of um, time on our on our watches, you know, safety wise to just drop back down a couple of meters and have a little look. And we spent a good few minutes with them, maybe three to five minutes, and they were just swimming around us. And obviously it was particularly exciting because we thought the dive was already over at that point when we saw them. And then a little cherry on the cake as well was when you're diving on air, you have to come up a little bit sooner than divers that are on a nitrox mix. So that's just a different um, kind of technical mix. So usually the nitrox divers get all the best stuff because they have maybe 10 minutes extra at the bottom. Um, and when the, when the nitrox divers came back up to the boat, we were like, oh my God, did you see the hammerheads? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And they thought we were joking because they'd completely missed them. Um, so that was really nice as well, because finally, as the air divers had had won up on them, even though we had a few minutes less in the water. Melissa loves the ocean, but not everyone feels the same way about it. So how does she use her writing and her skill set to make people care? For people to care about science, they need to understand what's happening and why it's important. Um, for me, if the scientists go too hardcore into the details, sometimes I don't understand. So I have a bit of a, um, I guess an automatic kind of barrier there. I'm, I understand and I know a lot of this jargon, but also I don't come from that world. You know, I'm not a scientist by training, um, but I do also as well when I'm writing and planning these pieces, try and think about would my dad understand this? Would he care? He's He doesn't know. I always use him as an example because he's not an ocean person, you know, not super interested. I think water gets past his ankles and he gets a bit jittery. <laughs> so, you know, when I'm thinking about these pieces, I try and have um, him or someone like him in mind. And usually for my articles as well, I will interview the scientists about the studies they're writing about because often... If you see the journal or even sometimes the press release of the journal, it can be quite heavy and quite jargony. When actually doing an interview with the scientists, I can be like, look, for someone that has no idea about any of this, like, what are you talking about? Why is it cool? What's the most exciting thing? And then when you're actually chatting to someone, you get so much color and great quotes that really bring it to life. And I think those are the things um, 
that make regular, you know, non-scientists interested um, in these articles. I think also thinking really clearly about why would they care? I sometimes, you know, automatically assume that everyone cares about the ocean. Why would you not, right? It supports all life on earth. Um, but a lot of people aren't in that mindset. You know, some people have never seen the ocean, definitely never seen what's underneath it, and they don't understand what an important role it plays. Um, so I think it's always really important in any kind of science comms and storytelling to think who is your audience for this particular story, because usually it's not everyone, right? And understanding who you're telling that story to is going to help you know which elements to pull out, how to approach it, maybe what kind of tone you need. Um, and also it's going to help you understand what kind of things make them tick, right? I could write a piece about being more sustainable in your day-to-day -day life. And it would be very different if I was writing for a single mum who's really struggling with money as than if I was writing for a, you know, middle-aged married couple in their nice big house, for example. Um, so yeah, thinking about who your audience is as well um, is going to help you tell those stories in a way that they can relate to. Storytelling is a powerful tool. And when used to help educate and inspire people to live more sustainable lives and protect our oceans, it becomes a weapon for change. Communicating about science and conservation can be tricky business, but as more and more people, like Melissa, take the time to create thoughtful pieces that connect with their audiences, change will begin to snowball. If we can teach people about wildlife, they will be touched, because humans want to save the things that they love. Steve Irwin To learn more about the work of Melissa Hobson and her company, The Ocean Writer, visit melissahobson.co.uk. This is Stories of the Blue World. I'm your host, Olivia Grace Barnes. Thanks for listening.